Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. stuff that I've experienced inwardly in these other states of consciousness are are in the past they're no longer real and how I was thinking about it was in terms of how these past non-real elements these sort of visionary and experiential elements feel like invitations to have dialogue about something that's more meaningful. Not that any one of those experiences was it, was the ultimate meaning. But to me, it just points towards the fact that the daily life that we've been programmed into isn't really what brings meaning into life. It can for a period of time or it can provide some sense of meaning that may or may not be really real in that it might be pleasurable but not necessarily meaningful in a sustainable way. And then oftentimes we are funneled back into living a life based on the programming of society, which again isn't meaningful, which then might lead to one going into one of these hyper-meaningful states. And it's not to say that that state is the way to be, ultimately, because it's very chaotic. But I think the chaos is trying to break up that which is not meaningful. And even though that state can be chaotic meaning in that a lot of the meanings don't necessarily make sense or are totally irrational or require reality testing in order to see whoa that has no truth even though it seemed meaningful it seemed like a meaningful perception and experience but again that invites us to be explorers of our own conscious process rather than machine-like in our thought process. So that process eliminates the machine-like process in consciousness, at least temporarily. And to me, that is part of the meaning of it, is not that any of the meanings were the ultimate meaning that we're seeking or trying to create, but the fact that we can create other meanings and that we are the creators and the perceivers of meaning. But usually we're caught in perception of that which is unreal, which is the ego's false structures and beliefs. And then we go into this other state of consciousness which is seen as 
even more unreal by society, but in my mind, it's trying to allow that which is more real to come into existence or come back into existence, which is our ability to learn, see meanings and create meanings, not just have very few meanings repeated over and over in our head based on our thought process. And I've talked about before how going into these states and when it gets distressing, to me feels like almost necessary in a way because it forces us to reconnect. It's difficult to process that distress on one's own and one can go further and further down that road of distress in isolation which to me is that monologue process that that Dr. Daniel Fisher talks about psychosis as a monologue and to me it's just being so far into one's own meanings by oneself in isolation that one needs to come back to the fabric of reality and in doing so one can bring some of the meanings in dialogue not just the scary ones but the ones that one had before before the process got scary and the process got scary I feel like because one goes too far into that by oneself without having dialogue because there's safety in being connected to people so the further one's perceptions go away from being connected to people the scarier it gets but I also feel that part of the process is not just to dialogue a person who went into distress back into reality but to also start creating other meanings in the process of dialogue with the distressed person with some of the positive you know the supposedly positive meanings that one came across to dialogue together about because when one goes so far into that process of meaning making and it gets scary society then says well that means this person has a mental illness when a person can be talked back into some semblance of reality but also start to have dialogue about what those processes and experiences meant and not just that but the process of meaning making itself so it's not just about oh I had this experience and that experience and it could mean this and it could mean that but the fact that we were reacquainted with our ability to perceive different meanings is an invitation to think differently about things because if our brain can be so decoupled from the meanings that we believe to be true on a daily basis that govern our lives to something totally different in a blink of an eye basically well then we do have that capacity to make other meanings which is going to create different ways of being and behavior and perhaps we need those different ways of being and behavior not just helping a person in crisis get back to normal consensus ways of behavior but also talking about the meanings 
collectively to move towards approaching things differently in daily life and not just that but approaching people who go into those states of consciousness so one is how we approach people who go into those states of consciousness and then also how we collectively dialogue going forward about what it is that's really meaningful and valuable in life because I feel like in that state since we're in that state of meaning making and and perceiving we see a ton of different meanings some of which may or may not be true or may be true in that moment for that particular person but there's also some more fundamental meanings that one can perceive and these more fundamental meanings seem to be sort of like the laws of nature the laws of human nature the laws of being human in nature and it almost seems to be like the laws of the nervous system and I talked about before how it seems like a child with autism needs that much more love to grow and flower unconditional love and I'm thinking that children that don't necessarily experience that perhaps experience more supposed tantrums etc etc and maybe go down a path of being misunderstood not allowing to flower not being provided that open space to develop the other lines of intelligence that the child innately has that can flower but if it, the condition is preconceived as bad as not a normal expression of humanity then that's going to not allow the child to flower and in the same way I feel like people that go through this trans consciousness or neuroemergent process of supposed bipolarity which I would even call omnipolarity because there's no real pole the person goes up down but in the up and down there's a rich experience of different perceptions and feelings and emotions so it's not just up good bad up down it's very rich so I would say it's omnipolar there's no real pole it's it can be anything it's sort of the person arises in what is required in the moment it's a very moment-to-moment -moment thing and I feel like a person in that consciousness also needs unconditional love and by diagnosing it as pathological, as a problem, as an illness, it's not allowing that richness to flower because it's limited it to a sphere of, well, certain dimensions of the richness are bad and should be stopped. And we don't have a paradigm where even the supposed bad stuff is met with unconditional love and understanding. And I know that they used to do that at Soteria House in the 70s or whenever it was. They would witness people's extreme states and you know people could scream and yell and and you know punch the air and stuff and somebody would just witness it. And there's an importance to that being witnessed by another person and being unconditionally loved, accepted and understood and validated because in that it's sort of allowing that 
to be in the eyes of perception of another person. Just like a child with autism is mostly going to have a parent around watching them. If they're watching them with the eyes of judgment, that's going to change how the parent responds. That's going to change how the child's going to flower. And in the same way with this omnipolar process, this trans-consciousness, this neuroemergent process. And it could even be called neuro-reemergent because I feel we have these potentialities as children, but they're not allowed to flower. So those circuits atrophy. So when they come back online in a re-emergent process, it feels so foreign, it feels so chaotic because the nerves are sort of growing in a chaotic way are growing very fast and and it's difficult to process all those perceptions it's information overload it's having access to more information we have access to all that information as a child that's how we learn by pattern recognition by modeling but then it goes away in favor of abstracting and conceptualizing about things instead of actually being one with what is happening so I feel like unconditional love is a necessary precursor to allow some of these people that go through these processes to actually flower. It can't flower in judgment, in hate, in criticism, and all of these other things. Even energetically, even if somebody's not judging out loud, if somebody's judging with their energy, their mind energy, that's not going to allow it to happen as much. And in a way, a person can get to a point, perhaps within themselves, that they can not judge themselves while witnessing what it is that is being processed in consciousness. And I was thinking that it seems like people have consciousness processing disorder. There's sensory processing disorder it seems like it's like a consciousness processing disorder one is processing other things other aspects of themselves other aspects of the past possible future collective unconsciousness of humanity and we do have access to all of that so i actually don't think it's a disorder it appears as disorder to a, an onlooker but I feel there's an underlying order in that one is disconnecting from the contrived order of the ego, which is that consistency, the habits we've been programmed into. And so when we're decoupling from all habits in general, not just trying to program a few new habits, it looks chaotic, but it's actually the intelligence of a different order, which I believe is learning meaning making and I feel like learning can only happen in the field of love and I feel like the field of love is the actual nutrition it's the actual energy that's required for learning and brain growth so I feel like one in a way gets connected with the field of love and this initiates the process of the brain growing. Maybe it's not as much that the ego gets scrambled, that this field of love is trying to bring about 
us outgrowing the ego. Not necessarily saying, well, this is a bad thing, but just it's not necessary in the field of love. And so one can be in contact with the field of love and this metamorphosis, this transformation starts happening in one's consciousness. And the thing that happens is one sees that it's all one consciousness, it's all one process. And then the people that come to the rescue when it gets a bit dicey are the ones that are judging. And by judging it, it starts to collapse the wave function around it being a mental illness. And then the person actually starts believing that it is that. And then it's all over. So it would be great to be able to have people that haven't necessarily experienced the process approach a person who is experiencing it with unconditional love and validation and safety and non-judgment, acceptance. The acceptance that's put out there now is in the form of it's okay, you have a medical problem. It's not your fault. I would say it's okay, you have a transformation going on in consciousness. You have this spiritual transformation happening. And I talked about before that I don't necessarily feel it's spiritual fundamentally in that it feels spiritual because it feels foreign to how we're used to experiencing everything which is very materialistic and, and non-spiritual. It's materialistic in that we require something in the material world to give us pleasure and our life isn't innately fulfilling within itself as it unfolds moment to moment. So in that way, when we're stuck in that, and then we, when we start decoupling from that, because that's all tied up with thought and the ego, it feels spiritual because it doesn't feel material. But I still feel that that is innately what it is to be human. It's not really spiritual as much as it is just really being human, really connecting with altruism, connecting with humanity versus being connected to one's own personal gain thought structure. And when we're connected to humanity, we feel that oneness, then we feel altruistic naturally because of how we perceive things actually to be. One thing. It's not me and the other, it's whatever arises in the moment is me 
and it's the whole thing it's not just my conceptualizing about things or my thinking about things and measuring things by measuring things in the moment we don't allow the holistic perception to arise so just as a friend who's never experienced cancer would approach somebody with cancer a friend with unconditional love and acceptance and non-judgment even though that person hasn't experienced it themselves I feel like people could still learn to approach people that are going through this transformative process with the same kind of unconditional love and acceptance and I think that's part of the trouble is that it's not seen as a transformative process it's seen as an illness and that might be a different level of this actually is that it's one thing to sort of create context for myself to really reinforce in my brain that it's a transformation, it's a different line of intelligence, it's neural re-emergence. And then if I share this, to perhaps invite others to do the same for themselves. Because that would take a lot of the self burden away the burden that we've inherited by believing the stories we've been told and it's still useful to hang on to that to some extent for some people for sure and I'm still right in that boat but I'd rather have that as one line of the story and then me creating my own context as the other one million lines of the story so in that way it sort of crowds out the old paradigm in my mind. Because if I do go on an attempt to come off medication, and I shouldn't even say attempt, I should say I'm off this medication, I don't need it. Me saying things like attempt, and I even know in my mind if I started to come off them and I started to feel unsettled, I would I would take medication again or I would you know so it would be it would be difficult for sure because that old paradigm and the things that come to the rescue in believing it are different than if I believed I needed to complete a transformation process and it wouldn't even be about believing it it would be surrendering to the process moment to moment and then trying to find out what happens so that's one thing is like personal context and then context for maybe people that have never experienced this and think oh well that makes sense and listening to it and thinking well maybe that's helpful in my work or maybe that's helpful in how I approach people who seem distressed or maybe it's helpful to hold that in my mind so if I ever have some weird experience then even if I end up getting pathologized, I still have this other context to start to have dialogue about. And that would be the thing too, is I've had a lot of self-dialogue. 
and it would be cool to dialogue about the parts with people that resonate with people because not everything resonates and not everything resonates with me my thing is just talking a lot to create a lot of different context not just thinking okay I'm gonna think about it in this one way that it's um, a transformation process and that's all I've ever thought about and said about it but by unfolding so much context and meaning around it it starts to be more reinforced because I feel like words and behaviors actually create our brain so the words behind being diagnosed with something are different than the words that I create with myself like the words we use and the attentions we have actually strengthen or weaken our nervous system and that is science based on Dr. David Hawkins stuff so even if I'm telling myself stuff and it's not necessarily about it being true or false but it's about whether it's empowering because I could just think of everything I've said as a storybook even if I've used scientific words it doesn't have to mean that I'm even talking about science I'm just borrowing scientific words just like somebody might say oh that's so bipolar when they're not actually talking about bipolar as in the mental illness I'm just borrowing words from science and just playing around with them and just having fun with them and utilizing them and unfolding them and relating them to my experience and using science words in a way that I feel empowered using them as opposed to just using the science words that are medical diagnoses that have been given to me by professionals. Well, I can use any words that I want if it's going to strengthen my nervous system by speaking this way to myself. And that's the thing too, by saying it in thousands of different ways, it's more strengthening because if a spider wants to make a web to catch a fly, he can't just make one line. He has to make the entire web in order to make it useful and in the same way I'm creating like a web of meaning I'm creating a, a web of context so no matter where I am I can likely catch myself in that web of meaning as opposed to falling back on the meanings I've been given to believe and the thing about the web too is it's invisible so I might not even know what part of me saying what and when is what helped me be strong through a certain process or experience and that's part of it too is that it's not about I'm trying to do this in order to do that there's no real goal, it's just talking, it's just talking to myself and I have no idea what that's going to do for myself if I thought it was going to do a specific thing that would probably block whatever it was that it really was going to do
if anything. I guess that's sort of like non-attachment to results. But where I was going with this whole having dialogue with myself, other people are having dialogue with themselves, dialoguing with each other, dialoguing with people who haven't necessarily experienced this so then they can perhaps help us in distress. Also, dialoguing so people who haven't experienced this sort of thing can move towards actually meeting up with some of the meanings that we've seen in our creation of context. So if I've seen we are all one at the most fundamental level. Well, if that's really true, what does that mean for behavior and how we should be with each other moving forward? And that's a dialogue that anyone can have. And there's a lot of books that say, oh, we're one, we're one. Well, there are people that have gone through these experiences who've actually felt that fundamentally as true for long periods of time. And that would be harvesting one's experience and mania or whatever for the greater good to say, for me, I would say, look, we are killing each other with our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Thoughts lead to actions. We're being violent by being separate egos. We're innately violent because we're trying to protect ourselves from others. We're not acting cooperatively and collaboratively. And, and I feel those sorts of dialogues, not just the dialogue about, oh, accept me with my mental illness or even accept me because I've gone through this transformation or help me because I've gone through this transformation and help me get through this transformation. But what is that whole process telling us from a larger perspective, from 30,000 feet, as I've heard people say in a few different talks lately? What does that mean? And I think that's part of how people can bring certain insights and messages that are important for the whole world, and not all of them. And it's about having dialogue about it. It's not about saying, oh, I saw this and this is how it is. The part of the meaning-making process and the transformation process is how it is kind of changes and unfolds moment to moment. And so we need to have dialogue moment to moment. What I'm trying to get at is that if the number of people who have gone through these experiences are able to dialogue with people who haven't, so that might be 1% of people have gone through it and 99% haven't, and create some meaning from that, and close the gap in what it really means to be human, what I'm trying to get at is I feel like if there was collaboration with people who are visionaries to unfold that in reality, when people don't have to be visionaries to participate in unfolding that, if somebody knows how to build a, a swimming pool, they can, they can participate, you know, like it doesn't have to be anything in particular. It's about building a new world where people don't have to go into these 
extreme states of consciousness in order to bring back these meanings and messages. So these meanings and messages to me are for the whole world. And it's not a unique experience. A lot of people experience these things. And that's why we need to get together collectively in order to make it happen, whatever it is. And then I feel that it wouldn't be necessary for people to go into extreme states of consciousness. People are using drugs to go into extreme states of consciousness because this reality sucks. Whereas if the messages from the visionaries were utilized to help inform the unfolding of humanity, maybe reality wouldn't suck so much, so people wouldn't need to use drugs so much. And people wouldn't need to go into these extreme states of consciousness naturally by virtue of the universe putting us there in order for us to see from 30,000 feet. If we were unfolding those things, we wouldn't need to, to go into that state to see from 30,000 feet, to zoom out in our perspective, to feel like we're not our personal selves because we need that perspective in order to see. So part of it is actually helping regular people to see things differently, not just about the transformation process, but what it is that the transformation process is trying to transform, not just the person, but the entire world. If the transformation was just for individual pleasure, that would pretty much negate the whole thing. Like, why, like someone could just sit and watch TV, why would consciousness need to go into that state? Like, if it was all about personal pleasure, that's what we're already all doing. And so this other experience, this otherworldly experience, other than society experience is trying to move us towards something other than society because it's not sustainable. Consciousness, the universe, the consciousness of humanity is trying to do everything it can without being too obvious. It's already pretty obvious with the arising of this new neuro tribe of people who are perceived and called autistic. And I feel like people who go through transconsciousness later in life are also part of that. But what it is is just childlike perception. Be as a child. That's all it is. It's trying to show us to be as a child again, to look beyond the words and the labels and the judgment, which is all the process of the ego. We didn't have egos as a child. We developed it as a protection me mechanism because we're not raised in an environment of unconditional love. And then when these other conscious experiences happen, they're not received with unconditional love. And it's unconditional love that puts us in those states and it's not received that way, so it can't grow in unconditional love. It's almost like certain seed sitting in a, a soil for a long period of time and never growing because it doesn't quite have the right nutrient balance in order for that to happen and then all of a sudden something happens 
and there's acid rain or something and then that makes the seed grow well in the same way people in this type of consciousness are like seeds waiting to flower into a new consciousness that is necessary it's a consciousness of oneness it's a consciousness of consideration and cooperation and collaboration And I think I did mention that people that go through this process one day will be the ones to try to help people who haven't gone through this process to get back to their childlike state, to embody their mania without having to experience mania, which is just moving towards one's dreams. I feel like if I was always on the path of moving towards my dreams and moving in my dreams, I wouldn't have had to be snapped into that consciousness away from being really far away from my dreams to in my dreams, which is such a jump in energy that I was behaving very differently. But if I was always moving towards my dreams, I would have just naturally been flowering in those behaviors and moving towards that. So it's not anything unnatural. And society programs us to move away from our dreams in favor of money, success, and the hope for a better tomorrow. listening to bipolar inquiry if you're enjoying the show please feel free to rate subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts remember use your voice craft your consciousness embody your potential enter a quantum paradigm the bipolar inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease information in this show is not medical advice thanks again for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode